Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. Ohio State has a program that oversees summer camps for hundreds of kids in central Ohio. In a moment, we'll go into detail about it with one of its leaders. In the second half hour, courtesy of 10TV, Scott Light will have a roundtable discussion about various political issues. His guests include State Representative Susan Manchester. She's a Republican from Waynesfield, which is in Auglaize County, about 15 miles southeast of Lima. Chillicothe's mayor, Democrat Luke Feeney, and Latrice Washington, political science professor at Otterbein University. And we'll wrap up the hour with a few minutes about the coronavirus from Dr. Miller Sullivan, Medical Director for Franklin County Public Health. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone is Don Anderson Butcher, who is the Executive Director of Teaching and Research for Life Sports at The Ohio State University. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, before I ask you what Life Sports is, I thought I would just read your mission statement on the website because that'll kind of put everybody in the right frame of mind to understand this. The mission statement says, enhance the quality of youth development, sport, and recreational programs through service and outreach, teaching and learning, and research, thereby increasing positive developmental outcomes for youth. You know, at the core of what we really do over overall is prepare young people for life and leadership through sport. You know, we aim to be a national exemplar uh, in sport-based positive youth development, think about ways in which we can reconstruct sport in order to really build social competence, healthy lifestyle behaviors, and sport skills among young people uh, at Ohio State. You know, dig in deep with the kids over long periods of time and make a difference in their lives. And your roots go back a long way. Yeah. Well, historically, life sports has evolved out of the National Youth Sport Program, which was a federal initiative that allocated dollars in the 60s uh, to universities and colleges all across the country. These dollars were set aside actually to run sport programs, but ultimately to address race riots that were happening during the civil rights movement. And, you know, the theory behind that was let's, you know, put money on college campuses, let's run sport programs, bring young people into university settings, get them in the pool, put them on the football field, and then bring them back back out into the community in order to alleviate some of the tensions that were happening at that time. Uh, At one point, there were over 200 NYSP national youth sport programs all across the country, of which Ohio State had the second largest one. And, you know, over time, those dollars continued to dwindle and less and less resources were coming from the federal government and local universities were picking up more and more of the fiscal responsibility so what happened is in, in 2007, uh, Ohio State uh, was looking at the budget for it. And, of course, we had the economy was busting at that time. And, and our athletic director, Gene Smith, here at Ohio State, looked at NYSP and said, hey, what are we going to do with this important outreach agenda? And he pointed to myself and Dr. Jerry Davis, who is in athletics, and said, let's think about how we can transform an NYSC into life sports. Let's make it more than a camp and really tie it to the academic core of the university and get really serious about outcomes and accountabilities and and creating a national model that others can replicate because we are Ohio State. And so uh, in 2008, we rebranded into Life Sports, and we've been at this for the last you know 13 years. Over 6,000 youth in Central Ohio participated, and uh, we're, we're moving and shaking. So you've got camps for youth, programs, and studies 
that also involved in Ohio State students who major and minor in youth development involved in it, where everything's kind of uh, blended together. Sure, yeah. So, you know, the idea behind it is really, you know, how do we take the summer camp um, that outreaches every year to over 600 young people and use that as a laboratory for learning for our Ohio State students? And so um, each year about 160, 70 uh, students, student athletes at Ohio State and, and even and from universities across the country come to work with us. Um, and But what they do are things like internships. They work as coaches and counselors. Um, they do research fellowships. They're doing theses and dissertations. Uh, and the, the unique thing is those students, those 160, represent 14 different disciplines. So they're, they're not just youth development majors or social work majors or coaching majors, they're public health students who want to look at more of the policy and the systems environments and how that impacts our young people in camp. Uh, we'll have um, pre-med students uh, who are looking at you know the experience from a healthy lifestyle behavior um, perspective. We have dental students who come and, and help us with our one-day registration where they do dental screenings for kids and, and follow up and do extractions later uh, in the summer. And so, you know, we really try to engage our students, our student athletes in different capacities, and then, you know, allow them to think about the learning that they're doing in context of kids' development out in different kinds of communities that maybe our young people at Ohio State have not experienced before. Um, one of the best uh, clinics that we've done recently that, that I love to talk about um, has to do with men's gymnastics. Uh, and they recently in the fall had 70 young people from Life Sports in the Steelwood Gymnastics Facility where they were doing the pommel horse, they were on the rings, they were jumping into the, the pit, they were working on the social skills that we teach at Life Sports as they were applying effort on the beam or, uh, you know, working really hard to uh, put forth effort um, as they're learning how to do pull-ups and, and other kinds of gymnastics skills. So really, really powerful ways in which we can engage students, student-athletes, but at the same time make a difference for young people in Central Ohio. It's tremendous. Talking with Dawn Anderson-Butcher, she's Executive Director of Teaching and Research for Life Sports at Ohio State University. You know, I was looking at these uh, summer camps and the involvement, and these are kids that are coming from difficult uh, environments, difficult backgrounds, 9 to 15. And and when you get these kids involved, you want them to make a, a commitment. And if they want to continue in a future camp, they have to have shown that they are committed to making an effort in this stuff. I, I think that's great. You know, the, the neat thing about life sports is our focus really ultimately is on increasing kids' social competence. And so it's what are the social skills kids can learn through sport. And, and we focus in on four specific skills that we want to see. We want to see the kids increase in their self-control, which, you know, is their regulation of their emotions, their ability to control their anger. We want them to apply effort, which is an E, you know, our E, uh, and work hard and put forth their best in whatever setting it is, whether it's in sport, on the playing field, or it's in school or at home. The third social skill we focus in on is teamwork. So, you know, how to problem solve, how to communicate, how to work together with others to accomplish 
a win on a playing field, but then also, you know, projects at school and things at home when you're working with your siblings. And then the fourth social skill is social responsibility. And we sort of call this doing the right thing when no one's looking, you know, being a role model, being a leader, being a a representative of life sports who others look up to. Um, So collectively, we call those SETS, so S-E-T-S, self-control, effort, teamwork, and social responsibility. And so um, when kids participate in in life sports during the summer, they get 15 hours of play-based instruction in a curriculum called Chalk Talk, which teaches those four social skills, S-E-T-S. And then the kids are encouraged and, and to apply those when they're playing soccer, when they're learning basketball, when they're in the pool. And um, when when our staff and counselors see kids demonstrating them, they actually give Buckeye pins. So if you think about the stickers that our football players have on their helmets when they make a good play, uh, our young people get buttons that say effort or say self-control. And, and our team processes with them how they did such a great job, you know, controlling their anger when their team lost. And because you showed such, you know, great self-control, you get this button. And and let's talk more about how you could use self-control, not just in that game, but when you get to the recess playground at school and somebody makes you angry, you know. And, and so we really sort of focus in on that um, within the camp uh, and, and teach more than just sports skills, teach these really important life lessons, too, that, that kids can take with them outside and apply in school. You mentioned, you know, getting kids involved long-term. The other thing that we do is the camp lasts in the summer, and we have follow-up clinics, kind of like this gymnastics clinic I just spoke about, where our athletic teams, our varsity clubs, different associations on campus or in the community host follow-up Saturday morning clinics throughout the academic year where our young people come back on campus, uh, they uh, participate in a specific sport that uh, our, our sponsor is sort of helping us do, like gymnastics or men's soccer, or we have a football clinic coming up. And you know, when, and then we uh, get the kids, the families back here, we talk about their sets and how they're using them in different settings outside of camp in the summer, and, and we get them to stick around year-round so that they enter camp again the next summer. Uh, and over time, about 47% of our young people come back year after year after year, which is unheard of for a middle adolescent program. Yeah. I mean, nationally, David, 60% of all kids drop out of sport Mm -hmm. by the age of 12. Now, we're serving 9 to 15-year-olds, and 47% of them are coming back, and we're serving the hardest to reach young people. So it's, we're really proud of that, and, and we don't want to just be that camp where kids have fun. We want to be with these young people over time with long-term relationships and skill building so that they can apply those skills in real life and, and get to college and get to career. You know, when you mentioned that the university really got cranking on this was 2007, and if my memory serves me correctly— that was around the time that social media really started taking off, Facebook and, you know, back in the mid-2000s to 2010 in that area with MySpace and all that stuff. And I'm wondering, sure. uh, with all those new distractions that can be good and bad for students, have you seen a difference over the years between how kids manage their lives and, and the need for this kind of stuff? I mean, certainly social media is having a big impact on kids' development over time and, and you know, so their, their attention span and, you know, how quickly can they move on to a different 
task or concept that we're trying to teach them. And right. so we as teachers and leaders have to, you know, really adapt to that and that we can't stand and deliver anymore. We have to, you know, move at that pace in terms of small nuggets of information and then practice apply and then entice them with something else and, and, and you know, move on. Um, we've done a lot in terms of our curriculum uh, to embed sort of short YouTube videos and um, examples of maybe sport where we've seen our athletes not make really good choices or not be a good team member or not demonstrate good effort or self-control. And then we have the kids process those things. Um, we also have used social media to have our young people actually make like skits and advertisements where they um, apply their social skills in an online format and they video them on their phones or on our phones and and then we tweet those out or we get them out into the hands of their parents and our partners and our donors and and so we've had to rethink how we do our teaching a little bit um, in relationship to it the other part i think from a broader youth development perspective has to do with screen time uh you know we find kids are um, on, t on their Xbox, using their phone, using their laptops that they get from school, and they're they're on these these platforms like six, seven, eight hours a day. Right. And the CDC recommends you know less than two hours of screen time every day. And so, you know, we as a, a community, as a country, really need to begin thinking about how that added screen time impacts kids' development as well as their physical activity levels. Because um, they're sitting, uh, you know, and not getting, you know, the steps in and the kinds of things that we know we need to have in order to prevent obesity and overweightness. Talking with Dawn Anderson Butcher, she's the executive director of teaching and research for Life Sports at Ohio State University. These summer camps, uh, you mentioned uh, better than 600 kids involved in that. How do you determine who's involved and, and how does that process work and, and how do kids get involved? That's a great question, Dave. There's such great need in the Columbus community and, and really across the, the country for good quality sport programming and summer opportunities that support working families that, you know, we at Life Sports really don't have a problem with recruitment. Uh, in, in fact, we actually turn away over 150 young people every year. But let me tell you what happens in order to get them involved. In April, usually every year, we have a one-day registration here on campus, and we open the doors at 8 o'clock to families as they come in and, and take one of those 600 spots that we have afforded in order to run the program in the summer. Families arrive, however, at like 2, 3 in the morning, and they put lawn chairs out, and they sit out in front of our building, and you know, hold their spot in line in order to make sure their young person gets in camp. So we do that one-day registration. And the other thing that's interesting about it is because we're partially funded through the Department of Athletics, there's some issues with having priority for certain young people to get into camp due to NCAA compliance-related issues. So we really can't give anybody preferential treatment in relationship to their um, enrollment into the program. So, mm -hmm. so this first come first serve basis is the way in which we have to get kids involved and, and get them enrolled. Uh, and then at the end of the 600, it's, you know, we walk in and say, sorry, you didn't get into camp. Wow. We want to impact the kids that need it the most, mm -hmm. right? We have young people in central Ohio who, you know, are exposed to pretty significant trauma 
and have you know some challenging behavioral issues that get in the way of them learning in school or you know being a good team member and and even have opportunities to participate in sport because they may not financially be be able to pay for those opportunities or those opportunities may not exist in our communities and so we really want to target the kids that need it the most um, and that one day registration albeit it is you know, sort of a clear system of how you get in or you don't, we're leaving a lot of kids out because, you know, maybe their families can't get transportation to campus that day to sign their kid up. Or perhaps, you know, their families are working three jobs and they can't get there that day, you know, to to be in line and and get there early enough in order to hold their spot. Um, I do want to mention one of the coolest things that's happened within Life Sports the last year is people have heard about the need because of our registration process. And so we approximate that every year we turn away 150 kids at that 600 lot, right? And and it's been crushing our team over the years because we've been strapped in terms of the capacity we can have here on campus with facilities and staffing and the dollars that we bring in. But so last year, The Lindy Infante Foundation, which is a a, Lindy Infante was a coach for the Green Bay Packers, Mm -hmm. uh, a very famous coach who had a really highly successful coaching career, was an NFL coach of the year. He passed away a few years ago, and and the family created a foundation where the whole purpose is to increase access to sport for kids who don't participate as often due to fiscal challenges and economic resources. And so they found out about our 150 kids and came on board last year with a multi-year gift that then the city of Columbus Recreation and Parks Department and Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority joined with them, and and we pulled life sports resources in addition, and we actually opened up our first satellite camp at the Beatty Community Center off Ohio Avenue, and we served another 85 young people last summer uh, through life sports but out in the community, uh, which was really amazing. And so there's, you know, great infrastructure to be able to re, you know, reach more kids and, and address more need through life sports with additional supports from other partners. That's great. Now, I have here that that one-day registration is on Saturday, April 25th, and it also there's a mention in it about getting paperwork possibly ahead of time, the registration paperwork. Sure. Yeah, we should have our application online uh, on our website in the next couple weeks. Uh, And essentially, families can fill out the paperwork ahead of time uh, so that they don't have to do that when they're there. And then, you know, they still, however, have to come and, you know, be in line and secure one of those 600 spots. So um, it does make it a lot quicker uh, process for families to get in and out because of the online registration. But that doesn't if you do the online registration, it doesn't guarantee that you get into camp. You right. still have to secure a spot. We really want kids and their families to be involved in life sports year after year. And so one of the incentives that we have embedded is that if kids in last summer's camp attend three or more of our clinics that we offer during the academic year, then they automatically get registered into the following year's camp. And so this is a way in which we, you know, continue relationships and connections with kids and families throughout the year, check in on them, see how they're doing in demonstrating their social skills, their sets out in the community, 
but then, you know, get them coming back, connecting with our staff, and then back in the door the following day, the following year. Um, and so, you know, any year between 45 to 52% of our kids come back because of those kinds of incentives, which which is really powerful. It's tremendous. Talking with Don Anderson Butcher, Executive Director of Teaching and Research for Life Sports at Ohio State University. Just real quick, uh, Don, what what happens at these camps? Uh, how do they get there? Is it? I mean, are you talking about a stay overnight camp? What is it exactly? So at, at Life Sports, it's actually a free camp that's offered to members of the community again who get in line and, and are here within that six hundred cap. And we have buses, campus buses here at Ohio State that travel out to 14 different centralized locations across the Central Ohio community and bring kids here to camp during the day. Uh, Our kids represent 53 different zip codes across the community, and so we have these you know, centralized spots like a school or a rec center where we get there at 7 in the morning and bring them here. Um, a typical day, the kids will come in and they'll have a breakfast. And, you know, so we're feeding the kids breakfast in the morning uh, and they also get lunch. And then at the end of the day, we transport them back out to those centralized locations. Uh, in a typical day, kids will be involved in a one-hour social skill instruction uh, curriculum, which we call Chalk Talk. And in addition, they participate in three different rotations of sport. So over the course of the four-week camp that we have on campus and the eight-week camp out in the community, the young people will have 15 hours of play-based social skill instruction in this Chalk Talk curriculum. And then they'll... Uh, have five hours of instruction in eight different sports. And one of the really unique things that we try to do is offer sports that many of our young people in our inner city have not been experienced and not been exposed to. So things like lacrosse and tennis. Um, We get them in the swimming pool here on campus because we know, for example, um, one of the the, the second leading cause of accidental death for kids in the inner city nationally is drowning. And so we want to teach them basic survival skills and get them in the pool. Um, They'll also do soccer, basketball, volleyball, more traditional kinds of sports, as well as things like hip-hop dance, which is one of the favorites. So so the curriculum happens that way, and again, they're taught these sets, this, this self-control effort, teamwork, and social responsibility, and then they're applying those and learning about soccer and football and how to dribble the basketball the right way or shoot with the pr- proper technique. And then the last week of camp always is the Life Sports Olympics. Um, so the Life Sports Games is, you know, team-based competition that happens among our young people in age-based cohorts where they come together and they compete over the course of the three days and all the different activities that they've learned about throughout the course of the camp. And it's a really powerful, exciting, you know, culminating event for our kids because they, you know, get together with their teams and they have team names and chants and colors and, and, you know, they, they, really come around in terms of a cohesive unit and then, you know, put forth their best effort and show uh, in the life sports game over time. So um, that would be sort of a, the camp in a nutshell uh, in relationship to how we, we uh, use the, the time during the day. And these are kids uh, age 9 to 15, right? 9 to 15 is our age 
that we serve here on campus in our campus-based program, um, as we've moved out into the community, into the satellite camp, the community actually came back and said we needed to serve younger kids. So at the Beatty Community Center Life Sports Program, we're actually serving 6- to 15-year-olds. So um, it's, you know, a little bit wider age span, and we've had to think about how we adapt and modify the curriculum for those younger kids. Um, there's one more part, Dave, that I haven't shared that, that is interesting, and, and I think I mentioned earlier that about, you know, 47, 52% of our kids come back year after year. At age 15, our young people age out of camp, so they're not eligible to participate in camp anymore. But oftentimes we have kids and families who have been coming to life sports for two, three, four years. So what happened about four years ago, we decided to um, add additional program for high school age youth who were past life sports campers. And so we have what's called our Youth Leadership Academy which is a year-round program that has 52 young people who are past campers, who are freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors, who come to Ohio State two times a month. We usually offer that on Tuesday nights. They come two times a month throughout the academic year, and they work on skills like time management, professionalism. They have mentors who help them write resumes and look at colleges, websites to see where they might want to go to school. Um, They do special uh, field trips where they might go visit college campuses or go to a business downtown and learn about careers in law or in banking or or whatnot. Um, But so these 52 kids this year are, you know, here with us year-round, but then in the summer, they come back and they serve as junior counselors and youth leaders at camp during the summer, and they become an integral part of our implementation team because they were past campers, they know the curriculum, they've mastered our social skills, and they know how to teach about them because they've been learning about them for many, many years, and a lot of times these young people uh, are almost better at teaching and instruction around sets than our staff at the university who really have never had any experience perhaps doing sport-based youth development. So it's really, really powerful. But last year um, in that graduating class of youth leaders, every single one of them, 100%, went on to either military, a trade school, or college. And so, you know, these are kids that were in camp for many years with us for four years as youth leaders, and now they're launched and, and doing really awesome things um, in universities. And then the neatest thing is some of those kids, guess what they do in the summer when they're in college? They come back to Columbus and they work for us. Wow. And we're their summer employer. It just sounds like uh, so much benefit all the way around for the university and the kids. Yeah, we're really proud of our impact. Uh, and, you know, certainly one of the best highlights that we had this year uh, was Life Sports was showcased in the National Youth Sports Strategy, which was launched by the federal government. And we were, you know, talked about in relationship to the way in which we reach underserved young people. We have girls involved at the same rates as boys. And when we have kids that have disabilities or learning um, challenges or even different kinds of social-emotional disturbances, we include them, we connect them, and they keep coming back to our program. Um, I do. That is an interesting thing. You know, we have had to work over time in how we create a more inclusive environment. When we first took over in 2007-8, 
you know, there was a large dropout and also push out of kids in the camp. So, you know, if there were behavior challenges, you know, kids were just removed. Uh, and, and it was really hard for us initially because we knew in our mission is to serve those kids that need it the most. And so if we're kicking them out, they're not getting the kind of social, emotional regulation skill building that they need. And right. so they're the ones we want to keep. And so over time, we've worked with the Adam Board locally in Franklin County and other funders who have helped us build out a behavior support staff. So we actually have trained social workers and counselors who work on our team in the summer and year-round who then can provide more of that intervention that's needed to support those kids that may come in with a little higher level of need. And we help them, you know, furthermore, just you know, be more successful at camp, be more successful in the out-of-school time, and then keep them coming back over time, which is pretty powerful. So um, that's been a, a lesson learned over time that we've really had to expand and, and make sure that that is a key part of our programming strategy. Talking with Don Anderson Butcher, Executive Director of Teaching and Research for Life Sports at Ohio State University. Don, if folks want to find out more about this or if they have on their radar, uh, you know, wanting to make sure that somebody they know in their family who might be interested in this camp uh, can be in touch and have a shot at getting in. Where do they find all this information? The best way for families and young people to learn more about life sports is to check out our website, which is www.lifesports.osu.edu. www.lifesports .osu.edu. On that page, they'll be able to find out more about what we've done in the past. You can look at annual reports, and there's also a lot of great information for families about how to get their kids into programs. Um, lastly, you can also donate to Life Sports on the website. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a partner, um, please you know, shout, give us a shout out there um, via our contact us link. Okay, fantastic. Don Anderson Butcher with Life Sports at Ohio State University. Great program. Uh, Thanks so much for your time today talking about it. Dave, thank you so much for having us on. We appreciate you. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. We parents hear our kids say lots of things that can get us pretty worked up. Things like, Look, Mom, no hands. And, Ouch, that hurts. Look, you'll never completely stop worrying about your kids. But you can breathe a little easier with free or low-cost health insurance through Medicaid and CHIP programs in your state. The truth is, they're covering more kids and teens than ever before. So even if you've applied in the past, even if you don't qualify... Your kids can now be eligible for regular doctor and dentist visits, prescriptions, and more. So the next time you hear, Ooh, I don't feel so good. Relax. Your kids can be covered. Get us kids covered today. Families of four earning up to $49,200 a year or more may qualify. Just go to insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-877-KIDS-NOW. That's 1-877-543-7669. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of 10TV, here is Scott Light from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to a Sunday morning and another Face the State. We're glad you're with us this morning. Let me introduce you to a terrific group of guests. The mayor of Chillicothe is here and also former city auditor Luke Feeney is at the table this morning. State Representative Susan Manchester joins us. She reps District 84, which includes Mercer County and parts of three other counties. Veteran journalist and public affairs editor for The Dispatch, Daryl Rowland's back with us. And so is Dr. Latrice Washington. She is associate professor of political science and history at at Otterbein University. Welcome all. It's good to have you here. Good morning, Scott. Let's begin with the boom that is still booming over parts of central Ohio and really a large part of our state. Still, though, there are a lot of people left on the outside looking into this boom. So to that, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of studies that came out highlighting our economy in different ways. First, Site Selection Magazine said, you know what, Ohio? You are number one nationwide when it comes to economic projects per person. And by the way, just for perspective, we've been the bridesmaid on this particular list for eight straight years, finishing number two behind Texas. Representative, why don't you start us off here? What's our state doing right when it comes to economic development? I think it just goes to show the strength of the American economy at large. A rising tide raises all boats, and Ohio is leading the way. And frankly, I'm glad that we're in the bride's position right now. Okay. And, Mayor, what about at the local level for you? In Chillicothe, around your area, um, you know, where do you see maybe things that line up like this? And then, you know, maybe some other areas where people aren't taking part in the boom. Sure. I think... You know, I think it's great to be number one. Right? Sure. Uh, these sites are uh, necessary for the development of the economy. What I hear uh, from our ma- major employers down in Ross County is we need to be doing other things to attract people to our communities. Investment in education is a, is a really big one. Uh, so we've got the facilities, uh, but we want to have attractive schools so that the people who are already here can attract more uh, people to transfer in. I think that's a, that's a major and significant thing for the future of this economy in Ohio is attracting young people to come back home. Mm-hmm. After college, I hear a lot of moms and grandmas saying, you know, how do we get our kids to come back after college? And I think that's something that we really need to focus on for mm-hmm. the future. And I think, too, if I'm right, if the statistic holds, we, are still, we still have a net loss of young people who leave to go to another state versus people who come here from another state. Latrice, weigh in. What do you think about this from Site Selection magazine? Well, once again, I think... Investment in education is always important. It ensures that we have a workforce that is capable. Um, technology, you think about manufacturing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, logistics, insurance mm-hmm. is big here. And so when you consider those industries, I think we're seeing the payoff of some investments that were done hmm. by the city a long time ago. Daryl Rowland. Scott, far be it for me to rain on anybody's uh, parade <laughs> that names the Buckeye State number one. Right. Uh, but, you know, site selection, a lot of that's kind of a state-promoted thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily like there's this big external study and evaluation in detail of Ohio. I, I think the, perhaps the more important number is, is jobs in Ohio. Right. Uh, new numbers just came out on Friday that showed a year-to-year actual loss of right. jobs. Right. Um, and that ranks us well toward the bottom. Uh, we'd, we'd love to be one of those bridesmaids in job creation because mm-hmm. we're, we're on the other end. Um, so, you know, a bit of a reality check as well, especially right. for folks living outside of central Ohio. Sure. Uh, those of us who live in this community, right. things are, you know, booming 
construction seemingly is going up everywhere. And you're right, the jobs, hey, 15 to 20, you know, some people sneer at that. Right. You know, now down in Chillicothe or someplace, 15, yeah, where do I go to sign up? I'll wait all night. I'll camp right. out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point, again, what's happening at the street level down on the ground, that brings us to some other uh, research that we saw this week when it comes to wages. And we asked the question, why isn't Columbus keeping up? Because if you look nationally at full-time earnings um, adjusted for inflation from 2015 to 18, nationally full-time earnings are up about 3%. But for Columbus over that same four-year period, it is flat. Mayor, again, what, what can be done on the wage side? What, what do you think the issue is, and then how do we try to solve it? You know, I think uh, there's been a lot of conversation about minimum wage. Uh, one of the things that I hear from especially small employers is a jump to something like 15 or 13 seems really hard to, hard to stomach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have bigger employers that we certainly think could afford something like that. Down in Chillicothe or Ross County, I think bringing somebody along slowly, gradually moving up that minimum wage, uh, and, and really, you know, Central Ohio, uh, Cincinnati has been a leader in the state. That's where a lot of this job creation has come from. We just unfortunately haven't seen the same thing mm -hmm. in Ross County and southeastern Ohio. And I think uh, the creation of good quality jobs down there is something that, that we really need to focus on. Is that talked about at the State House Representative? Maybe, just maybe, a stair-step approach to increasing the minimum wage. I think when you look at the economy and the state it's in right now, we're looking at a basic issue of supply and demand. Central Ohio's wages might be stagnated because there's more people here and there's more of a labor force available. Where I'm from in West Central Ohio, there's less of a labor force to draw from, and so employers are forced to offer very competitive wages in order to draw in the good workers. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind as we move forward in the conversation about minimum wage. I'm not convinced that setting it higher is actually going to improve the quality of life for folks. Mm -hmm. I think that keeping the economy competitive and making sure that employers are forced into offering competitive wages and benefits to their workers is really going to lead to a more sustainable path. Mm -hmm. Daryl, to your point you just made just a second ago, yeah, if you drive through Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland, cranes are everywhere. There's construction crews out all over the place, but again, especially for our city and others, Wages are like this. What are you hearing from people you talk to? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, look at the starting point. Columbus's wages were probably fairly healthy, you know, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. So the fact they haven't increased may not be quite as much concern as, as it would be otherwise. Uh, the other thing is, you know, everything we say about this is just generalizing. You know, we see the cranes, we see the, the downtown apartments being built right. and what have you. That's not, you know, even we spread out all over the neighborhoods right. Right. In, uh, in Columbus. Uh, you know, there, there's, you know, we talk about southern Ohio. That's always seems to be, well, it's bad down southern Ohio, southeast Ohio. There are parts of Columbus, it's, you know, where people are, are still struggling. Absolutely. You know, to put food on the table uh, to get that job. And as the representative said, you know, to, to get benefits with mm -hmm. that, which in some cases is almost just as important. Yeah, you know, I, I always like to say if you own a house and have a 401K, you're probably doing okay. But a lot of people, I mean, half the country still doesn't have a 401k. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Latrice, when you see these numbers on wages? The minimum wage issue is always a sticky one because it, it really doesn't benefit businesses in terms of their profit margin. Mm -hmm. So I think we get that piece. At some juncture, if we value workers and we want workers to not just do their job, but most often, people do their best 
when they feel that they're valued. And one of the ways that people measure that is what number, what price tag are you associating mm -hmm. with my skill set, with my contribution, and how I help the company um, produce and gain a profit. Off to a great start. Let's continue it on the other side of a commercial break, including will Super Tuesday push Ohio back into the spotlight? The importance of your vote come primary day. Let's talk about America, not taxes or tweets or the issues that divide us, but how incredible our country is. Whether you come home to a crowded city street or sleepy small town, everyone deserves to live in a clean, green, and thriving community. We are Keep America Beautiful, the nonprofit working with millions of people like you to end littering, improve recycling, and beautify communities. Learn more at kab.org. Together, we can do beautiful things. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention. Plenty of exercise and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. Visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. Back to Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV, with a segment that was recorded just before the Michigan primary on Tuesday. Welcome back, everyone. Let's talk about what our friend and colleague, veteran journalist and public affairs editor for The Dispatch, Daryl Rowland, wrote about a few days ago this past week, put a story out with this headline, with Super Tuesday over, Ohio vote grows in importance. So, Daryl, let's talk about that. You talked to uh, a gentleman, you talked to several people, of course, in your piece, but you talked to Kyle Kondik, who we like having on the show here from the University of Virginia, and he said that what Joe Biden proved on Super Tuesday is that his surge went beyond the South, that he right. had a surge up North. Right. And yeah, he, uh, Kyle, good Ohio U graduate, right. yeah. Um, said, yeah, look at Biden's performance. You know, okay, he won big in South Carolina, led into Super Tuesday, so he's going to do well in the South. Won Texas, well, maybe a little surprise there, mm -hmm. but pointing to those northern states like Minnesota, again, Senator Klobuchar's endorsement right. surely up there. Sure. But Massachusetts, obviously home state of Senator Warren, uh, thought to be a two-way race between Senator Sanders and Senator Warren. Joe Biden comes in and beats them both. And then up in Maine. Yeah. So he's not just where all these southern conservatives are. He's, he's winning these, these northern-tier states. So um, what a miraculous almost turnaround for the Biden campaign. I mean, just within a few days, he goes from... You know, he's we're ready to start writing the political obituary for him. Yeah. Uh, now the nomination's inevitable. And both are too extreme, of course. I should say that Kyle cautioned this sweeping generalization. You know, again, the pendulum going from one side, one candidate to another candidate being inedible. We've all seen Joe Biden and his performance. And as it's Kyle's words, not mine, so I'll just quote him. He shows his age, quite huh? frankly. The verbal stumble. Sure, sure. Um, and if he is the Democrats' champion, if you will, he's going to have to walk a tightrope for eight months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, little stumbles here and there, flesh cuts, be okay. But what if he really steps in it sometimes? Right. Uh, Kyle says that risk is always there. So, 
You may want to have a backup plan, Democrat. Yeah. Mayor of Chillicothe, Luke Feeney. You actually endorsed Mike Bloomberg, but I think you and a lot of other Democrats are just breathing a sigh of relief that there's some coalescing. The momentum, the coalescence, you had... Uh, Congressman Clyburn, and then you had uh, Senator Klobuchar, and you had uh, Mayor Buttigieg, all within something like 72 hours. Uh, that that is uh, quite literally momentum that uh, came, and I think that you will see, and you'll continue to see that that coalescence behind this person. Who you know, you had several people running in that moderate lane, mm-hmm. and I think you had a lot of people out there wondering, kind of questioning, who who is this person in this lane that I want to get behind? Mm-hmm. That we we literally saw a lot of. You mentioned 72 hours. Longtime Democratic <laughs> strategist Donna Brazil, she said this about his 72 hours. I want to see if our political scientist agrees with this. She said Biden from Saturday in South Carolina to Super Tuesday, those 72 hours, she called it the greatest political comeback in modern times. Latrice Washington, she is associate professor of political science and history at Otterbein University. You agree with that? I don't know if the greatest in modern times. I will will say it was a great comeback. There's something we talk about in political science called the, the front runner syndrome. So it's it's wonderful. You want that momentum, but it's hard to keep. Um, everyone will make missteps, and if you're the front runner, it's it's just more difficult sometimes to rebound from that. It's often sometimes best to just okay, let me stay right there on the cusp and hang back a little bit, second, not too not too far, but. Um, to recognize that so that you don't have the bullseye constantly mm. on you. So we saw this with Warren. We saw it with Bloomberg. We saw it a little bit with Biden. Um, the issue with the sun is going to come back. So if he does survive and if he is the nominee. Talking about Joe Biden's Joe son. Joe Biden's yep. son. Yep. It will come back. Is it based on merit? Well, it's been dealt with several times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... The big issue for me, even when we talk about Biden and we understand those issues, um, Caucasian, European-American, male of privilege, older, and he sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, when you looked at all of the candidates disproportionately, other than Tulsi Gabbard, you know, they sound like 70-year-olds. Mm. And they're going to need to figure out how to talk to, like, the non-baby boomer generation who sees things very differently, Mm -hmm. who have very different issues that they have to contend with. And they sound out of touch. Yeah. State Representative Susan Manchester, she reps District 84, which includes Mercer County and parts of three other counties. Um, Representative, I know we're talking about party politics, the opposite of your party, but (laughs) just give us your your observations on Super Tuesday. Sure. Well, as a Republican, I'm having flashbacks to 2012 when we had a pretty crowded primary. We were looking to defeat an incumbent president, and we spent a lot of time going after Mitt Romney, saying that he wasn't conservative enough, that he passed Romney Care, which was basically Obamacare light in Massachusetts and on and on. But at the end of the day, he was our nominee and it was very difficult to undo that damage. We had a very hard time coalescing around him. And frankly, he didn't excite the base in the way that we needed in order to defeat President Obama. I think that if um, Vice President Biden is the nominee, he's going to have the same issue. And frankly, he's going to have an even tougher time because I'm not convinced that he can bring the Sanders base to his side. Mm -hmm. 
All that to say, whether it's Sanders or Biden, I don't think either of their bases hold a candle to President Trump's. Hmm. Let's talk about uh, talking about a base. And I was uh, reading several things, but The Washington Post put it this way. There is a profound tendency in this to ignore what we now know is the most important and dedicated constituency in the Democratic Party, and that is African-American voters. They put a stamp down all over this country uh, on Super Tuesday. Daryl? I think so. And I think, you know, I think the mayor pointed out the role of Congressman Clyburn in, uh-huh. in South Carolina. Huge. Um, if, you know, one person's endorsement, you know, endorsements are sometimes, you know, worth a nickel or a dime or whatever. This was extreme. This was huge, I think, as you say, to carry South Carolina. And then, like I say, once you win South Carolina, then you start getting the other people dropping out. He gets more and more endorsements. And voila, here we are today. Yeah. Again, could things go the other way? Sure. But right now, it's looking good. There's also been some myth-busting. In fact, I want you to take a look at this, because we, we looked at what was being talked about heading into Super Tuesday. So think about this. You had Bernie's folks saying, OK, we're going to get these record-breaking crowds. That's going yeah. to lead to votes. You know what? Myth busted there. And then you had, you know, this whole myth about, all right, we've got all the field offices and the infrastructure. The Bloomberg folks were saying that. Elizabeth uh, Warren's folks were saying that. That's a myth that's now, at least from Super Tuesday, that's been busted. And then you go to, you know, if you if you've got policy papers on everything and if you have great debates, I mean, let's be honest, whether you like her politics or not. Elizabeth Warren performed a human vivisection on Mike Bloomberg in the debates. You know, I think at the end of the day, uh, we're all humans and we all have this sort of attraction to people. And I think that's what they say about about Joe is he's likable Um, and he's got a warmth. And uh, sometimes sometimes that's difficult to come across uh, in a debate. And, you know, I read the article uh, about his stuttering. That was something that I, uh, you know, I I had no idea about. And you, you mentioned kind of that. Um, the, the getting flummoxed on stage and that kind of thing. But, but at the end of the day, I think most Americans know his story. Uh, they know the challenges he's had in his life. I think uh, a lot of Americans can identify that, whether it's a, uh, a cancer issue or losing a loved one. Uh, and I think that that makes people drawn to him. And, and, and I think he appeals to uh, a wide uh, cross-section of people, whether it's African-Americans, Latinos, or, or uh, any other section. Okay. We'll continue the discussion talking about this, making every vote count or... Are they doing that? An appellate court weighed in on voting for Ohio inmates. And the headline from the Associated Press looked like this. Appeals court says Ohio inmates don't get extra time to vote. And the court overturned a lower court ruling. It basically said this. People in Ohio who find themselves in jail before an election shouldn't be granted the same ability to vote late, let's say, in comparison to someone who's suddenly hospitalized. And again, it was a unanimous decision by this appellate court. I've got time to go uh, one time around the table to each of you. What do you think of this ruling from the appellate court, Representative? Well, there needs to be consequences for people's actions. And I certainly believe in justice. And I think that the consequences should fit the crime. And so I understand why some folks might say this is a little too extreme. But we're talking about people who find themselves in jail very shortly before Election Day, who maybe have had the opportunity to vote absentee prior to getting into jail. So I think that we're talking about a relatively small proportion of the population. But coming from a rural district, 
district and knowing the kind of stress and strain that our county boards of elections are under on election day, it would be a very costly burden to require them to ensure that everyone who finds himself in jail a few days prior to the election has the opportunity to vote. So I think that's where Secretary of State LaRose is coming from, and I certainly agree with that and agree with the decision. Okay. Mayor? You know, I think uh, I read the decision. What struck me was that it's a question of resources. And, and ultimately, um, whether it's this issue or any other issue with, with voting in Ohio, we're making it harder to vote, not easier. And I think uh, that's a resource allocation question. I think we need to allocate more resources in the state to make it easier to vote for everybody. Daryl? You know, if it's election year in Ohio, there must be a voting controversy. In Ohio. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. You know, it's like the swallows or the buzzards coming back. Um, you know, I, I think right, that we just heard the, the, the kind of the, the encompassing arguments. And again, just to, to, to remind our viewers, these are not convicted felons who have given right. up their right to that's vote. Right. These are folks in jail. Right. Um, yeah, so it's not that they're ineligible. That's a whole other debate in it, terms of it, should felons be able exactly. to vote. Exactly. Yes. So these, it's just a matter of do you. And again, to, to get a vote, like in a nursing home, you have to have a Democrat and Republican both be present and go down there and, you know, have them vote right in front of you because it's a bipartisan thing in all of Ohio. So that would require that in the jails, too. Mm -hmm. So there are some practical issues, but, you know, we're far enough out from the election. Maybe those could be solved. Okay. Latrice? I, I would actually say that, again, resources, but Ohio like many other states, um, doesn't allocate resources towards um, demographics that oftentimes are kind of seen as undesirable. Hmm. So no one's interested in trying to make it easier or to help facilitate it. Um, I think I'm always trying to lean on the sense inside of understanding and uh, trying not to be judgmental about how and why people end up in, you know, temporarily for short periods or even to the degree of individuals who have committed crimes that are felon felonies. Why? Because many of us break laws, speeding, doing a whole host of things. Have struggles, have But for grace, yeah. Yeah. we haven't been arrested. Yeah. And so um, I try to keep, keep that in mind because whether it's a lapse of judgment, um, lack of in education, information, um, poor habits, those things anyone can find themselves yeah in those situations. So again, I think if we had that mindset, perhaps some resources allocated for some things that happen that we don't like to see happen, but being mindful, this state does do a good job at what some people refer to as disenfranchising mm. demographics that traditionally won't go with the status quo and will actually work against it. And if those numbers are greater than the numbers who are for then we find ways in which to not help facilitate um, the ballot for them. Yeah. Always myriad factors, whether you're talking about the economy, or whether you're talking about voting rights, there's always a lot going on. And unfortunately, we are out of our 30 minutes to talk about it all on this Sunday morning. We thank you for joining us. It's been a good discussion. Thank you guys as well for being here. That's again Scott Light, courtesy of 10TV from his Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. The stigma of addiction is destroying lives across the country, preventing our loved ones from getting the help they need. We are Shatterproof, a national nonprofit dedicated to ending the stigma and devastation addiction causes families. We are changing laws, creating a community of support, and providing evidence-based resources for prevention, treatment, and recovery. Stigma shatters lives. Rise up against addiction now so another life isn't lost. 
Get involved at shatterproof.org slash rise up. What if being in recovery from a mental or substance use disorder was something we proudly showed the world? You might be surprised. Millions of people are in recovery, sharing hope, help, and support with family, friends, and community. Join the Voices for Recovery. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Again, courtesy of 10TV, here's Angela Ann and Pete Scalia, the weekday morning team at 10TV. They're on from 4.30 to 7 every morning. This past week, they had a segment talking about the coronavirus. Many of you, I'm sure, are asking, what is the risk to you? Well, that depends on a lot of factors. So we want to bring in the experts to explain and separate fact from fiction. So joining us this morning is Dr. Miller Sullivan. He's with the Franklin County Public Health. Thanks for being here with us today. My pleasure. So we do want to start with something. You know, we're hearing about more confirmed cases, but we tell people the risk for you to get it is still pretty low. What does that really mean as we still see more of these cases getting confirmed? Well, I think it means we don't know exactly how many people have it, but it's probably not widespread yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're concerned that it is going to spread um, in the community and um, could be a more of an important problem. I know when it comes to, you know, the general public versus others in the community, who is most at risk to this type of virus? Well, I think anybody can get it. Uh, We tend to see less of it, uh, at least less serious complications in the kids. Um, Certainly the elderly, just because they have some issues already, are at a higher risk. And anybody with underlying health conditions. So if you have COPD, diabetes, um, arthritis with autoimmune problems, um, if you get this virus, you can have complications more easily. Mm -hmm. And I I have to ask, though, I mean... you know, we're, this is all new territory. That's what everybody is saying right now. So, I mean, we're just ramping up. We're not at the peak, you know, flu season. We know when it starts, when it kind of ends. But this one, we really don't. Well, this is all new. It's new territory forever for everybody. We don't know what the time frame is going to be. Is it going to quiet down as the weather gets warmer like flu? Or is it going to continue? Um, we just don't know. Hence why we're seeing some of the cancellations, you know, Absolutely. the things that we're seeing at OSU and so on. Now, as far as some of these groups who might be a little more at risk if they were immune mm-hmm. compromised or have other issues, as you mentioned, uh, also the elderly, what are some of the precautions that, that those groups of people and their families can take? Well, I think everybody can take precautions. Certainly, we know it's spread through water droplets. So if you sneeze or cough, that's how it spreads. So certainly, mm-hmm. cover your cough, use tissues, uh, throw them away. Wash your hands. Use the hand sanitizer. Um, You know, if you know you're sick, stay home. Don't be spreading it. Try to avoid sick people. That's good. Um, We we know it's spread by getting in your nose, eyes, or throat, so don't touch your face. And clean things at home. Um, You'll get hand wipes. I mean, the wipes and, uh, um, you know, clean things you touch all the time. The refrigerator door, bathroom faucets, the doorknobs. That's really tough to tell a child, don't touch your face, uh, <laughs> you know, when they're yeah. just, you know, rubbing their hands all over the place. It's difficult to tell you and I. We yeah. probably don't realize how much we do that. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, Dr. Sullivan, I, I do want to also ask, you know, I mean, as we 
look into more of these cases. Do you think that there were possibly people here in Ohio and beyond that maybe had it, recovered from it, we just didn't know because we didn't have the yeah. testing here? Yeah. I don't want to be a naysayer, but I suspect people have it. Okay, I suspect it's in the community already. I think most of us feel that. Mm-hmm. And we just, they're not that sick, so you don't identify them. Uh, we're not testing them, but they're probably out there and they're probably spreading it. So uh, I suspect it's been here and it will be here. And as has been mentioned many times, for most people, the symptoms are pretty mild. You don't even know you have it. Right? Well, thank you for being here and helping us kind of inform our viewers out there and really separating some of that fact from the fear that's going on. My pleasure, and we'll see what happens. Appreciate it. All right, Dr. Sullivan with Franklin County Public Health. Thank you so much. That's again courtesy of 10TV, the morning team, Pete Scalia and Angela Ann, heard each weekday morning from 4.30 to 7. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM, Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.